Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Phil Sylvester. Before we get to Phil, do you have some announcements to make? First is that our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, check out the stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written, see photos of our guests, see their stories, and see links to all their websites and social media. You can see links to all our social media, which is, of course, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. Uh, there are links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes, where if you're on iTunes, please give us a good rating. That helps people find the show because it boosts our presence, and that's a cool thing to do, and it costs you nothing. Never asked you for money because I'm a bad businessman, but someday, maybe I will. Someday, I might even put advertising on here. Ooh, you're going to love that, won't you? I stand by all my products. Anyway... Go there, TravelTalesPodcast.com, and you can also write me. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody who'll be right for the show, write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Don't even have to write me. If, uh, if you have a recommendation, you can just write me and say nice things. If you're saying bad things, you don't have to write anything at all. What do you think of that? I'm sensitive. I don't need your anger. All right, let's get to Phil Sylvester. Phil is a guy who I talked to through Skype. Uh, He was in Australia. Yep, that's right. I talked to him down under, a completely different continent, other side of the world. It was already tomorrow when I was talking to him. So, hey, figure that out in your head. Phil has his own podcast, but what really pays the bills for Phil is his business, his organization that he works for, which is World Nomads. And they are a travel insurance provider. And I knew of World Nomads because I took some trips with Intrepid Travel, which is a tour operator based in Australia, and they recommended World Nomads as their provider because they require travel insurance for all their trips. I know travel insurance is not the most sexy topic in the world, but it's something that uh, more travelers should know about, especially Americans, because we tend to not use it and not know anything about it. I actually didn't know much about it until I started uh, traveling the world a little bit. So it's a good thing to have. It can save you a lot of hassle, a lot of money, Uh, when you're out there in the world, and not just for injuries, but lost luggage and travel cancellations and getting ripped off, uh, a lot of theft claims and things like that. But we talk all about that. We also talk about Australia. He's got great travel tips on Australia, things to see, where to go, and all that stuff. So I'm glad that Phil reached out to me, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation I had with him, because I did. So please welcome all the way from Down Under in Sydney, Phil Sylvester. So World Nomads is a, I know the name. As soon as you wrote me, I said, wait a minute, I know World Nomads. And the main game that you're in is travel insurance, correct? 
Well, yeah, everything that we do is funded by travel insurance. We don't, you know, do flight bookings. We don't do hotel bookings. We don't do itineraries. But we do do a lot of things around that. We're not your usual travel insurance company, that's for sure. We, um, you know, we like to consider ourselves a community of like-minded travellers. As a matter of fact, we've got one of our guys on the partnership team right now is working remotely from somewhere in South America. So, you know, we're very supportive of our staff members who want to continue their travels as well so you may have heard of us i think our most famous sort of aspect is we offer uh, scholarships in travel writing travel photography and travel film they're in immensely popular and you know we try to make a money can't buy experience for somebody to go off and turn their passion into their profession yes do you always do you also work with uh intrepid travel yeah, sure. Look, we okay, have that's a... that's why I've heard of you. I've okay. taken a few trips with Intrepid, and I think when they, you know, they always require you to buy insurance, and yep. they recommend They're, you. They are an affiliate partner of ours, that's right. We've uh, So is Lonely Planet, so is Nomadic Matt that you may have heard oh, of. Oh, sure, I know Matt. Yep, sure. All those guys, they are part of our, they partner with us. They are all part of our uh, affiliate um, uh, scheme, which is something you know anybody out there that's running a blog can do. We we you know we take from you know the smallest of travel blogs out there. If you're happy to you know do some recommendation of uh, of world nomads travel insurance, you can um, make some money on every policy that gets sold. Right, and whenever we bring up uh, travel insurance on the show, and with uh, when I talk to people who maybe aren't regular travelers. They yep. don't know why it's necessary. They don't even know what it is. They make the joke that, wait, hey, if the plane goes down, what am I going to collect on it? You know, they don't know. So yeah. if you can just give them a brief overview of what travel insurance is and why they need it. Okay. Um, if the plane goes down, what are you going to claim on anyway? All right, let's, start <laughs> right. at the really, let's start at the really gruesome end of this, all right? Uh, we call it RMR, Repatriation of Mortal Remains. So... <laughs> Uh, seriously, you know, um, it, we will uh, help recover your body and we'll take it back home to your family for, you know, for the proper grieving process there. And, um, you know, if you leave your family to do that, that can cost as much as $25,000. So, you know, it's right at the very pointy end of nastiness there. You're looking after your family if you've got travel insurance because we'll we'll get your body back home. But look, the, the, the point is that most people don't have that catastrophic end it's the thing that you there's three main things that travel insurance covers and that is medical expenses and medical repatriation so you may have been you may have survived that plane crash but you know now you need to get home for continuing treatment um cancellation and delay so if your trip is delayed by a certain number of hours by bad weather for example and you know we had a really busy busy hurricane season didn't we um or if there's some reason that, you know, the trip is cancelled because it's unavailable to you. And the other thing, of course, is straight up loss of belongings, we call it. So that's either you lose something or it gets stolen from you. So those are the three things that are covered. Now, I've got to say Americans are kind of used to buying separate insurances for everything. But, um, you know, it's it, in Europe and where we're based in Australia, it's kind of a all-in-one uh, right. package that goes together and can i say people will go yeah but i've already got medical insurance i, I already have my medical insurance which may be true and if you are in a which hospital, is more likely more likely more not like, to happen in america yeah this is true but if you do have it and you are 
ill and you're in a hospital in Bangkok, it may be that your medical insurance will pay for those uh, for those costs there. But if you need to be brought home, if you need medical repatriation, your home medical insurance is not going to pay for that. But World Nomads Travel Insurance will. We'll get you back home. Well, give us uh, some of the uh, examples, some of your wilder examples of claims that people have made in terms of medical emergencies. Um, okay. We had one, uh, a big one last year. There was, uh, uh, it was actually an Australian man. He was on his honeymoon and he was in Peru and he got this horrible um, uh, infection that went to his, uh, to his brain. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, and then ended up poisoning all of his blood. So he needed massive number of uh, blood transfusions. And in fact, they just about used up all of the available. He was in Arequipa and they used up just about all of the available blood to keep him alive. At one stage, he was um, less than 5% chance of surviving. Fortunately, we were able to work with the hospitals there to get him the best care that he could and he survived. And we managed to bring him home to Australia and that cost us about $300,000 to uh, pay for the medical expenses and the medical repatriation. But look, you want, you want the crazy ones, okay? <laughs> Here we go. A guy goes to uh, a doctor in India, and he's got something crawling under the skin of his leg. He's oh, been, I can't he's even been hear bit, this. This is, this is crazy. He's been bitten by something which has laid its eggs under his skin. Oh. So the doctor goes, here's some antibiotics and get yourself down to the butcher and strap a piece of meat to your leg. The maggots that are inside your leg will prefer the raw fresh meat strapped to your leg rather than your leg and they will, they will crawl out and they will go into the meat. Ooh, classic Indian medicine. We pay for the antibiotics, but he had to buy <laughs> his own piece of meat. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whatever happened? I mean, did he did these maggots? Yeah, no. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, they came out in the meat and had his antibiotics and carried on with his travels. Oh, my gosh. Is, oh, there, no. is there a country that maybe doesn't accept your insurance or, doesn't, uh, or you have trouble um, covering if somebody Look, wants we, to go there? Yeah, look, we made the decision not to sell our insurance to anybody who wants to go to North Korea. Well, sure, yeah. For obvious reasons, we can't come and get you. We can't arrange mm -hmm. hospital care for you. We can't, we can't help you while you're there, so we're not going to take your money off you. We have some problems, and it's actually quite complicated, but we have some problems of because basically you can't transfer her money into places like Cuba right. from America. So we have problems with... Um, uh, you know, funding medical treatment that has occurred in Cuba. But we have ways of doing it because we're a global company. So, you know, sometimes the bills get paid by the UK branch of the company rather than the American one. So we, but other than North Korea, you, we're, you're covered. We can, we can look after you. Right. I know visitors to America, you know, that's one of their big fears because it's so overly expensive here. Yeah. Um, is that a, more common for people visiting America to say, I have to get some kind of uh, insurance before I go to America? And is coming to America, if you're a, a foreign traveler, is that more expensive than going to other countries? It's like, is covering you yes. in America much more expensive? Yep, it is more expensive. Can I buy it as an American? Uh, you can buy domestic coverage for trips more than 100 miles away from your home. Okay. So... 
Yes. Uh, but yes, it is more expensive for non-Americans to travel to America because of the cost of the me- uh, medical coverage. But, um, you know, kind of people are very aware, of, a couple of stats for you, from the, in the United Kingdom, about 85% of people buy travel insurance before they travel overseas. In Australia, it's about 95%, but in the United States, it's about 34%. Right. So they, you know, the rest of the world is kind of aware, especially if they're going to the US, that you've got to have this covered because you're going to get hit by a big bill. Uh, but the reverse of that is kind of not really true. They sort of, it's going to be cheaper everywhere. So. Yeah. I know there yeah. are some um, credit cards out there who claim to cover some form of uh, travel insurance or something, yep. whether it's lost luggage or, you know, change in flight or sometimes medical stuff. Is that yep. something that uh, that's viable, or is your coverage even more complete than what they're giving me? Uh, well, that's the sixty-four dollar question, Mike. It's <laughs> right. like sometimes. I mean, sometimes, is that legit? I mean, is there like oh, yeah, full coverage? I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, some of the credit card travel insurance is great. Some of it is absolute sawdust. Sure, <laughs> I was going to say, um, and and therein lies the problem because. Um, people often say that the travel insurance that comes with my credit card is free and the other mistake, and it's not, you're paying for it because you're on a premium credit card. You're actually paying a, you know, higher, um, interest rate on your borrowings. Um, and the problem with that is the exact cost of your travel insurance is not transparent. You don't know exactly how much it has cost you. Um, the other thing is people think because it's, complementary they are automatically covered and there are depending on the card provider there are different rules for activating the coverage have you bought you know the airline tickets on it have you bought the majority of the cost of your trip on it does it cover your spouse traveling with you does it cover your dependent children all of these things vary from card to card it's to, but it's if you're prepared to go in there and read all the terms and conditions and have a look through all of that and you are happy with the product that they are offering you Go for it. No problem. Just be aware of, you know, that you're comparing like with like. Uh, Most travel insurance provided by credit cards has, you know, an excess payment, which is higher than standalone travel insurance. So, you know, you, uh, ours is, I think the, uh, you can get it down to zero on World Nomads, but the standard excess payment that you have to make is $250. On most credit cards, that starts at $500. So if you lose a $499 camera overboard when you're uh, on a ferry, don't bother putting in a claim because the first 500 bucks is not going to be paid. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, on a standalone policy, you'll get everything over 250 So, you know, just be aware of those things. What about when I am, I'm in another country, say Ireland or something, and they always require me to uh, buy added insurance on a rental car? Do you, does your coverage cover cars as well? Yes, it does, up to the value of about four or $5,000, depending on what your country of residence is. But, yeah, so – and as you know, Mexico is notorious for this. Sure. The rental car – renting a car in Mexico seems really cheap when you walk onto yeah, the lot. it's never the but price the that time, you got online. It's <laughs> yeah. never that price. That's right. And by the time they've added all those uh, insurances and the, you know, collision damage waiver fee, that's the one that really, you know, screws people down. But that's included in in your um, in your uh, travel insurance from World Numbers. Can I say I recently went to 
um, a resort off the coast of Queensland in Australia, a place called Hamilton Island, where there are very few cars, but everybody rents like golf buggies to drive around. Sure. But they're actually registered vehicles under Australian law. So when you, you know, get your golf buggy for driving around on the island and hand over your driving license details, what have you, they also ask if you want to pay the you know, collision damage waiver fee. No, thanks. I'm good. I'm covered by World Nomads. So I know uh, when, I, when I talk about travel insurance to people and I'll tell them what I paid, they're surprised at how little it costs. Yeah. yeah um, it is. is there, uh, for someone, say, 20s, 30s, or whatever, is there like a sliding scale that you use and say, look, it's going to average you about uh, $10 a day, $20 a day for you know, US. Is there uh, something I could tell them like, you know, this is how much a brown is what you're going to pay? No. On a it's typical a short vacation. answer. <laughs> is, is it more Unless dependent want, on where you're going than I guess? It's depend, it depends on your age, uh, where you are going, how long you're going for, and a number of other factors with, like the risk profile of places that you're going to. And if there you're is... climbing Mount Everest or something. Oh, uh, we cover you up up to base camp. You're covered. Beyond oh, that, good. you're not covered. Yep. Yeah, so I, I see yep. that. Yeah, uh, but look, there is an entire department around the corner from where I'm sitting right now whose job it is yeah. <laughs> to fix, to fix that. That is a very very complicated machine uh, on fixing, and of course, it's a lot of it has to do with competition and what our competitors are doing and and things like that as well. But look, uh, some people may. Um, maybe uh, still holding on to a, a kind of an old way of working out travel insurance. And you can still do this. Lots of companies still offer this. They will you know, say, well, here's the value of my trip. It's a $20,000 trip. And they go, okay, well, we're going to charge you 15% of that. as the. Okay. But, what, but what World Nomads does and quite a few other uh, travel insurers do in the kind of the more modern way of doing it is the, the, the premium that you pay is defined by – the maximum benefit that you can get. So rather than – so that means if you're going on a $2,000 trip or you're going on a $200,000 trip, the cost of the premium will be the same. But you can only claim up to you know $5,000 for electronic items and you can only claim up to $250 a day for – uh, you know, incidental expenses if you're delayed, those kinds of things. So by the maximum amount of the benefit is what sets the premium that you're doing. What kind of um, trends do you see with uh, people now? Is it more about – is there a difference that's happened in the last 10 years? Is it more about the equipment people take? I mean, people's phones and laptops and things are very expensive and some people are taking drones <laughs> everywhere and things like that. Is that the biggest change you find? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, a few years ago we found we were, you know, quite out of date with that and we had to revise all those limits on equipment that people were taking. Um, it's kind of uh, at one stage people were taking a laptop, a tablet and a, you know, a cell phone. So, but now that kind of everybody's, you know, the devices themselves have got – uh, more sophisticated and people tend to take just one of them with them these days, which is kind of good. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we had to adjust that uh, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, if you are taking high-end photographic equipment uh, with you, you know, like a massive lens, if you're a bird watcher, then um, you may not have under your 
regular travel insurance sufficient coverage for it you know if it's a ten thousand dollar lens you're taking you're going to be way over the limit you're not going to get all of that back so we encourage you to look at alternative ways of insuring that as well it may be covered under your under your home insurance your home contents insurance yeah. or if you join one of the professional or you know the semi-professional organizations or, you know i'm making a name up here association of american amateur photographers something like that they will yeah. usually have uh, they would shall we shall we trademark that i think i've just invented it. yeah there you, go. <laughs> there you go they will usually have a deal with a specialist insurer so that you can you know separately insure your equipment as well so check out ways make sure you are covered okay, when you wrote me you had mentioned a few of the crazy claims that you had and uh the first one of course stands out and how do i not ask about this uh, broken penis we have had two broken penises in <laughs> time here. Okay. This is now, a claim. This is something I've this never heard of. Never heard of. <laughs> I didn't know you could break it, but you can. Okay. It's, <laughs> yeah, guys, I don't know either. Guys, you're going to have to cross your legs and you know, oh, pucker up here. Boy. Okay. There, um, everybody, men, men and women, all have at least one frenulum. If, you know, that's the piece that joins the bottom of your tongue to the bottom of your mouth, right? Yes. That little sort of bit of skin there, that's a frenulum, okay? Mm-hmm. Guys have two. They have another one. Yes. A little bit further down the body. If you tear that... <laughs> oh, boy. A, it bleeds like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, <laughs> and no. B, you need an operation to reattach it. There is a thing called a frenulectomy. And we have had two cases where guys have with their partners whilst they're traveling. And, you know, we don't ask too many questions about how it happened, but, you know, things happen and the frenulum gets torn. You got to ask, though, don't you? Don't you have to ask what you were doing? I mean, you got to ask. One of the gentlemen said he um, he was he thrust and missed the target basically and hit some coarse material oh. so i go okay mate where were you all right was what he you at a, like on a rock material? pile what was he it was this was like an army issue blanket what where uh, are uh, you? yeah no kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um and his claim in that he said he actually also um cut open a vein on his oh penis my gosh as well and he said there was a lot of blood so, <laughs> well, to, to can you even, imagine his poor, yeah, part, his I, poor I partner? Imagine. It's like, what is going oh. on? <laughs> well, to even make the claim, it had to be serious. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if it's, you know, up to a certain point, you don't tell anybody about that. But if That's you have right. to go well, to the trouble of like, I got to call this in and then I got to yeah, explain well, it, it must have been pretty serious and, and expensive. Yeah, sure. It was a surgical procedure. Where, what, what country was it in? Oh, look, uh, you've got me. I think one of them was in Southeast Asia somewhere, and another, yeah. I can't remember where the other one was. I don't know why Thailand that. just went to my head that, yeah. like, immediately. <laughs> this just seems like a Thai accident, doesn't it? <laughs> it, does. Uh-huh. it does. But, yeah, you know, like he needed a surgical procedure and then it all stitched oh up and, and some uh, medications and then carry on with the trip. So. Well, speaking of, uh, I don't know why this came to me with Thailand as well, but what about the people who um, say you get arrested or you need bail money or something like that? Does that fall under your any kind of law uh, no, payments we, we or lawyers we, or anything like that? No, look, we can't cover illegal activity. 
So, um, you know, if you do something illegal, then you're on your own. I'm sorry. Um, you know, even your consulate will go, okay, they will lend you some money um, mm-hmm. for, for those sorts of things under certain circumstances. But, uh, no, don't do anything stupid whilst you're overseas. I mean, that's the number one rule for travel insurance, all right? We don't cover stupidity. <laughs> The, you know, like if yeah. it looks like a good, if that looks like a really good thing to jump off, because that'd be fun. Just ask yourself: Is that a really stupid decision? Because if it's stupid, it's not covered. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, say you're going to sure. New Zealand, and yep. I didn't tell you guys that I was going to try, you know, bungee jumping while I was there, or hang gliding, ju- or something like that. Bungee jumping's covered. Hang gliding's not. We've got like 200 adventure activities that we automatically cover. Hang gliding is not. Hang, no, we don't. Like, no, uh, it's generally, you know, flying stuff under things which are not proper aircraft we don't really like. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, hang on. For the, uh, for the U.S. policy, I think it does cover hang gliding. Well, look, case in point here, go on and check our list of whether it's a covered activity or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, up until a about a year ago, we actually covered wingsuit flying. Oh, those base jumpers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had to stop that. Oh, <laughs> that was kind of an oversight, so we don't cover that anymore. Oh, my God. Wingsuit flying, or as I like to call it, plummeting. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> what about the base jumper? Yeah. It was on the list, the base jumper who was left hanging from a rock on a Swiss mountain? Yep. He's a Florida guy. He was in Switzerland, and he was base jumping and it went horribly wrong and he ended up stuck on a ledge halfway up this cliff for about 12 or 13 hours until he was rescued when they got him down he had uh, head injuries which meant that his medical evacuation back to the united states couldn't be done at high altitude we couldn't go in a high altitude aircraft with reduced cabin pressure so that was a specialist air ambulance that flies at low altitude which is Super expensive. So that was a couple hundred thousand dollars to rescue that guy. Oh, my gosh. And, and part of the reason why we don't cover base jumping anymore. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> what about the guy? You, you rescued a guy at an airport that didn't exist? Yeah, yep. There was a, um, there was kind a of guy airport doesn't on, exist? Yeah, it's funny, this one. He was on a surfing safari on a remote Indonesian air, uh, uh, island. And um, he started getting sick, and so he, he he called us and he said, "Look, I'm not feeling really well." And um, we discovered that there was a small medical clinic on the island, so we sent him off to that, and you know, prepaid his um, expenses there. Um, but whilst our emergency assistance team were talking to him over you know a period of a few hours, they called him back a couple of times. He was becoming more incoherent, and we realized that it wasn't just the flu or something that he had or that in actual fact he'd got um uh encephalitis that he'd caught from dengue fever so he was like seriously seriously ill and the medical clinic on this island wasn't able to cope with it and we we knew from his travel companions that was an airfield on the island a recently constructed airfield but it was so new it didn't have a designation you know like LAX or uh, what's what's JFK? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. It didn't. It was so new. It didn't have a designation. So we're we're speaking to these um, emergency evacuation airline companies based in Southeast Asia, and they're going, 
Well, there's no airfield there because there's no three-letter, you know, designation code. And we go, it's there. We promise you there is an airfield there. That you, It is, you know, X number of feet long. It, it is there. And uh, so we had to work hard with our contacts when we eventually um, convinced one of the companies we work with on a regular basis, and they are amazing. And we said, look, it, there's an airfield there. And they went, okay, we'll go. So they actually went in and flew to an island where officially an airfield didn't exist um, and rescued the guy and saved his life. What would you say is the most, the single most common claim that you get? Is it lost luggage or is it canceled trips or has to do with flying or what? Yeah. Uh, no, it, I think um, cancellation and del- Well, yes, traveler's diarrhea is the biggest one or gastro oh, sure. or tummy flu or whatever you want to call it that everybody gets and you know you have to go and get some medication that's that's really common but that's really really super low cost you know we're talking you know the cost to us is a couple hundred bucks so mm-hmm. we had a lot of those but it's it's not our you know biggest uh sort of expense if you like um about 10 percent of people who are insured make a claim and generally, it's for uh, loss of belongings. So, yeah, they lose something, uh, something falls overboard, they leave it behind somewhere, and or it gets stolen. Things get stolen out of the bag, or it just disappears and they don't know why, whether they've left it somewhere or it's stolen. Don't know. Had it once, don't have it now, put in a claim. So that's the most common one. But that's, you know, that's like small potatoes. What really, you know... What really hurts is the $200,000 medical evacuation from Switzerland back to Florida. That's what really hurts. Yeah, I was on uh, – I've been working a bunch of cruises, as you know, and yep. we had to helicopter a guy off once. And oh. I think the uh, cruise line, you know, they call it in. You know, if they can't – you know, there's a medical staff on board and everything else. But if it's something they can't handle, you know, they have to call in a – a helicopter and, and bring a guy to the mainland. And in terms of claims and things like that, our cruise ships, I always tell people, I mean, people worry about getting sick. I think that's the number one thing. But other than yeah. that, they're pretty safe, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there's hand sanitizer at the end of every corridor oh gosh, for a reason yes. on the yeah. cruise ship. Please use it. Uh, <laughs> But apart from that, I mean, they do have medical staff on board. And, and you know, the the captain – it's quite common for a cruise ship to put into a port somewhere to uh, offload somebody who's too sick for them to care for. Yeah. Uh, we repatriated a uh, – we were talking previously, Mike, you were talking about Dunedin. We repatriated an Australian man from Dunedin where they, he'd been put ashore after he'd had a heart attack and brought him back home to Australia for treatment. So that kind of happens all the time. How much, though, is covered by the cruise line when you buy your ticket? Because people always go down for whether it's like a seasickness patch or antibiotics or things like that. Does that, come, does that add to their bill? Or uh, If you think the American healthcare system's expensive, try getting sick on board a cruise ship. <laughs> Seriously. It's like way – it's – unbelievably eye-wateringly expensive to get sick on board a cruise ship, which is why you need travel insurance for that. Even if you're just sailing between 
uh, ports in the same country. You know, you're doing mm-hmm. between two American ports. You, as soon as you're 12 nautical miles offshore, you're in, in international waters and your medical insurance from home may not operate there and what have you. So make sure you get travel insurance for being on a cruise ship. It is eye-wateringly expensive. If there are things we can do to cover ourselves, and pardon the pun, but to make sure that we're going to get our claim approved? Are there little tips you can give us that makes us uh, things we can do? Yeah, look, and these are outlined in, you know, the terms and conditions and on World Nomads, we try to make it as easy as we can. You can make claims online and get your claim paid and keep traveling because obviously we have a lot of people who are, um, you know, on extended tours. But the thing is, you're going to need documentation. First of all, if you've if something's lost or stolen, first of all, we need to have proof that you actually owned it in the first place. Obviously, we're trying to stop fraud. So do you have, you know, a, a, a purchase receipt. receipt? Yeah. Or here's a top trick for, for that one. The day before you depart, open your suitcase, lay everything out on the floor, put today's newspaper there and take a photograph. We'll accept that as some sort of proof. Um the other thing is then we need some proof that it was stolen and or lost. So you've got to make a report. You've got to make a police report as soon as you can, preferably within 24 hours. That's one of the biggest bugbears. People get back home and go, oh, this got stolen. I'll put the claim in when I get home. But you need the police report from the Bahamas or, you know, wherever you were. So get the police report. And especially if it's lost on a piece of transportation, on a ship or on a plane or on a train, get a report from the company as well that you have reported it to them. Um, once you've got those, we got proof you had it, proof you lost it, put your claim in, shouldn't be a problem after that. So when an airline loses my luggage, yes. how much are they liable for and what kind of documentation do I have to get from them? Yeah, good question. Airlines, oh my word, you guys need to pick up your game on that. <laughs> um, right. It, there are, uh, if, if your luggage doesn't turn up within the first 12 hours under World Nomads, you can then go and buy some essential. You can buy some new underwear. You can get a toothbrush. You can, you know, buy some essentials that you need to replace and make a claim and that will be reimbursed. Um, it's up, there are, and it varies from airline to airline about, but eventually, if the luggage doesn't show up, it's not recovered. Then, then the entire uh, the entirety of your luggage is covered as uh, lost belongings. But that kind of varies from airline to airline. Like some will say it's forty eight hours, some will say it's seventy two hours. So you have to check with your airline. But yeah, what we're going to need from you in that case is um, if you've got your baggage tags, great. You are going to need a report from the airline that you went and, you know, reported this was missing. Any email conversations you have with the airline about what they've done to try and recover it, keep all of that stuff. That's just documentation that we need to prove that it all actually did happen. And it's look, it, look, it's not that we don't trust people. We know it happens all the time, but there is a massive loophole there for people who want to try and defraud the system. So we've got to try and clamp down on that. And, of course, the more people defraud the system, the more expensive premiums become. And, you know, so we're just trying to help everybody out. Well, now that we've talked about business, let's talk about yeah. Australia for now. Sure. Uh, okay. Hugely popular tourist destination yes. and always growing. 
Yes. What kind of trends? What's the latest trends you're seeing now in Australia? And I, my first trip there was in '96, so you can okay. imagine things have changed. And other than the three days I just spent in Melbourne last last year, uh, I haven't been back. So, uh, what's the latest? I took a Greyhound bus up the East Coast. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> are, uh, do you have any high speed trains yet? Do I have to do that again, or is that still a cost-effective way of seeing the country? Yeah, look, a lot of people come, and there is a thriving market in people um, buying like RVs from each other and driving up up and down the coast. Uh, But don't forget, Australia is big. It's you know only just a only just a little bit smaller than the United States. So if you are going to try drive from Melbourne to Cairns, you are going to need at least two weeks just for the drive. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to stop and stay and look at something on the way, you're going to have to allow a bit more time. So yeah, I think I did five is, weeks from what I yeah, remember. Yeah, okay, it's huge. Okay, Australia is really, really, really big. Um, so a lot of people, especially, you know, people on like a sabbatical or taking a gap year, will buy an RV and they will, as the weather turns uh, in Melbourne, they will start heading north where to the warmth, doing the sort of reverse snowbird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, no, we don't have very fast trains, much to the chagrin of Australians everywhere. It's just really something that we'd all love. But, listen, we do have pretty cheap uh, domestic airlines. We've got a couple of budget airlines who will fly you around. And if you're not too particular about when you go, you can get dirt cheap tickets. I've seen I've seen tickets from Sydney to the Gold Coast for $25, you know, so you can you can do that. But the big thing is, and I'm really pleased to see this is happening now, and especially, you know, since 96, there is a lot more uh, opportunity for people to go uh, and experience Indigenous culture, Aboriginal culture in Australia. Uh, there are a lot more tours. Uh, you mentioned Intrepid and uh, World Adventures is another company who do amazing tours up into the Northern Territory into Arnhem Land. So there's much more opportunity to have, you know, a proper sort of connection with the Indigenous people, which is fantastic. Um, apart from that, you know, um, yeah, quite a few places uh, have opened up up the coast. If you've done that big trip up the the big East Coast road trip. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Byron Bay is still one of my favourite places. I know, I know, it's beautiful there, but which I heard is very expensive now. Yeah, and can get a little bit crowded as well. And when there are, you know, four or five other towns in that region which are almost as nice, so it kind of depends what you're after. You realize, um, crowded to an Australian and crowded to an American yeah. are two <laughs> wildly different things. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> I mean, a the crowd in Australia beach. is ten people. That's <laughs> the best beach I have ever been on in the world. is um, is about fifty miles outside outside of a town called Esperance, which in itself is about five hundred miles south of Perth, which is the most remote state capital city in the world. So you know, it's a big place, and there is. So much to see. It's unbelievable. Perth is a completely different – that's a separate trip you almost have to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, depending on the jet stream, um, it can take you um, It can take you five hours, five and a half hours to get there if you're flying into the jet stream, but you can get back in four. So, yeah, it's a lot, <laughs> that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. So, oh, uh, an actual Perth native. I try to describe, I try to describe the state 
of Western Australia to Americans. <laughs> and I okay. say it's pretty much if you'd looked at the US map and took everything from the continental divide, like everything from like Colorado yep. Yep. West. Yes. And everything in that entire <laughs> continental US that's the state of Western Australia. And in that entire space from everywhere from Seattle all the way down to, you know, the Mexican border yeah. is a million and a half people. And yep, a million of them live it. around Perth, which yep. is like San Diego. That's about right. It's like San Diego. Yes. And then that's... Yes, it is. So you get a half a million people just scattered into these little mining towns. There's just no one. There's just no one there. Yep. It's pretty amazing. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it's... Look, and, and, so, and the diversity is amazing as well. I mean, we have, uh, you know, some of the biggest deserts in Australia, the Simpson Desert. Oh, yeah. Um, it's in Abbott. And... Um, down in the southwest, it's it's kind of um, it's we have trees not as big as redwoods, but we have these massive uh, Australian native trees down there, Cary and Jarrah trees. Mm-hmm. So it's quite dense, densely forested down there. Um, and then you know uh, the the Kimberley region up in the far uh, in the top in the far north, amazing landscape up there. It's sort of uh, deep red dirt up there with massive gorges with beautiful water in there and it's just incredibly diverse it, there's something and um everybody talks about the great barrier reef there is another reef off the coast of western australia uh, up near a town called exmouth it's called the ningaloo reef uh n-i-n-g-a-l-o-o ningaloo reef and it is not not as big as the great barrier reef it's only a about a half of the size of it, which means it's still pretty big. Um, you may have seen in some of those uh, wildlife documentaries at a certain time of the year, all of the coral spawns at once and fills mm. the water. Yeah, that's Ningaloo Reef. That wow. happens there. And the beauty of Ningaloo Reef from uh, Exmouth is you can swim to it. You can walk onto it at low tide. Oh, that's amazing. So Great Barrier Reef, we're talking about you know a couple of hours on a boat to get out there. Ningaloo Reef out of Exmouth, you can snorkel onto it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I got to get back, and I'm as a diver because that was one of the big reasons for my trip. I was in Cairns, and I did a three night live aboard up in uh, Coral Sea. Oh. But you know, I've seen the stories and I've seen the photos now recently of the damage of the reef. What's what's the latest, and what have you seen and heard? Yeah, look, there's it's quite definitely uh, you know in trouble, but there is the uh, the the parts of the reef where the coral has been bleached out and is dying off is actually concentrated towards the southern end and in and in one particular area, uh, and there is still plenty of the Great Barrier Reef which is in pristine condition. I'm not denying that it's under threat. Um, it certainly is. It's in trouble. But there is still plenty to see out there. I mean, and we've had a couple of big uh, hurricanes come through there in the last few years as well, which probably causes as much damage as, uh, as anything. So, uh, you know, uh, it's slowly recovering from a big one we had about two years ago, two, three years ago. So, um, yeah, there are, you know, places where it's damaged, but there is still – and it's huge. Grey Bear Reef is massive. Yeah. So, you know, there's still plenty to see out there. What about uh, for people who want to go there and maybe work and try to get a work visa? I understand for at least for Americans, 
trying to work in Australia is is kind of difficult. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, you've got me there. I I know it's kind of easier if you're from a Commonwealth country, a yeah. former... Oh, the know, Canadians got it made. Country. Canadians have got it made. The, uh, the English have got it made as well. Um, I don't know. How's our conversations going with President Trump on the free trade agreement? Maybe we, you know, maybe something will come out of that one. Let's see what happens. Yeah, there. sure. But yeah, it's 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 really difficult, and it shouldn't be that hard. It's just, yeah. Well, speaking of our orange leader, uh, what is the <laughs> what's the uh, opinion over there, and how is it shaping up? Because when I was in uh, Sydney or Melbourne last year, it was before the election, right. and. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's tough times, tough times. And uh, what's the latest over there on the, on the feeling? Because our, you know, our media and everything is so prevalent around the world. They yeah. must be seeing it. What's the vibe? Um, well, it's a strange thing Le- leading up to the, um, uh, the presidential election. I think, you know, Australians love a good joke, you know, we're like a bit of, <laughs> bit of humor. Sure. And when everybody thought this was, you know, this can't be real. <laughs> this is I know. So funny. I heard it for years then- leading up to it. Ah, oh, and then it was like, oh, you know, crikey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they did it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, we do watch American politics. And, um, I mean, uh, we're in the you know Southeast Asian region. We're in the Asian region. So, you know, we're a little bit concerned about all that saber rattling that goes on sure. um, with North Korea. So we're, we're in range too, you know. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it does does bother us and you know every country has their own form of him in somewhere and you've had your uh trump types <laughs> everywhere every country has them but yeah. uh, they don't all get elected <laughs> but they have them you know what i mean yeah yeah i yeah. uh, look you know and i think that's a worldwide phenomena as well i think a, a lot of people everywhere are dissatisfied with what they get from their politicians oh sure uh you know which sort of gives rise to those people on the fringes getting some sort of attention so mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's going to end. I think, uh, you know, and I think, you know, social media's got a lot to We're getting very serious here. Social media's got a lot to do with it, you know, because it polarizes opinion. So I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work out. But um, I don't know about you, Mike, but I believe people are good. I believe people have got good intentions, and I like to think good of people. And I, I think we're going to come through this okay. What are some of the places in Australia that maybe aren't on the typical tourist itinerary that you think are overlooked i mean what are some places we should check out that maybe other than the big highlights that we all see you see where i live in sydney in australia i um you would all have heard of bondi beach sure of course i i live about um uh what's that about uh four or five miles south of that at a place called maroubra which is an Aboriginal word for rolling thunder, I understand, from the sounds of the waves on the beach. It is um, every bit as beautiful as Bondi Beach, about the same size, got beautiful surf, and it is very local. It's Maroubra locals go there. So we have, you know, places like that within Sydney itself. Uh, If you are in Melbourne, um, some of the the beaches uh, along... Uh, near Torquay, along that surf coast, are beautiful as well. Phillip Island, there is. Oh, I don't even have to go that far. Between Melbourne and Phillip Island, there is um, a little peninsula, and on top of that is a place called Red Hill, and they make 
awesome Pinot Noir up at Red Hill. So there's plenty of that. Uh, no, I'm listening. Okay, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> it's like, you know, like a an hour maximum from the centre of Melbourne um, down on the Mornington Peninsula and there's uh, beautiful wine country down there. Really gorgeous. Uh, look, there are um, there are dozens of little towns on the way up the coast between uh, Melbourne and Cairns. Dozens and dozens of towns which don't make it onto the tourist map, but all of them will have you know a camping ground or a caravan park or somewhere where you can stay and uh, you can enjoy these unbelievably beautiful beaches with almost nobody on them. It's yes. Just spectacular. But then, you know, we have uh, – there's a – I don't know if it's apocryphal, but apparently we have more snow than Switzerland in the uh, Australian Alps during winter. What? Uh, Come on. Yeah. No, no, no. The land area of the Australian Alps is, like, huge. Was well, that massive. up by Not, uh, Canberra? Yeah, a little bit further south of Canberra. So um, uh, the there is this spine of mountains that goes all the way up the east coast, just inland of the east yeah. coast, goes all the way up the Great Dividing Range. And when it's in the southern parts of it, so below Canberra down to Melbourne, it's it's called the Australian Alps and it has a lot of snow. Not great snow. It's a bit crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> a bit icy, but there's lots of it in midwinter. So, you know, and you can go – there are ski resorts. You can go – it's not great snow. It's not great skiing, but you can do it. So – well, so many We've of the ski it. resorts here in California in the winter, they're staffed with uh, Aussies and Kiwis Yep, on their that's holiday. <laughs> they're taking their summer break over here to work right. at the ski resorts. Yep. You hear that's a lot right. of the accents there. <laughs> okay, Tasmania. Th- Never been. Tasmania. Oh, look, Hobart is, uh, is uh, the capital of uh, yeah. Tasmania in the in the south is having uh, a renaissance at the moment. It was um, it's for a long time it's kind of been like you know the poor cousin of all the states of Australia, but it's really booming at the moment. There is um, there is a massive natural food uh, movement there, uh, so you can go and there are amazing restaurants, amazing local organic produce that people are people are creating and you can go down there for a food and wine experience in tasmania and the um the there is in hobart a a new art gallery the museum of hang on mona hang on mona new art whatever anyway look mona look it up amazing just unbelievable art collection there as well and so hobart especially but tasmania in general is kind of like the new cool place to go and lots of people are actually you know when they've had enough of living in the big cities brisbane sydney melbourne they're packing up and they're moving down to tasmania for the lifestyle oh wait a minute i think there's a mailman or something coming that's a bad cough you've got there oh my gosh there's two (laughs) dogs here that's shut up josh oh god uh i'll ask the question quick and then i'll turn my mic off sure Shush! Oh, they're killing me. Okay, I'm just going to get it out. So, I'm waiting for a break. Shut up! <laughs> uh, you, you had said that, uh, when you wrote me, you said that World Nomads doesn't believe in travel boycotts. What did you mean by that? Yeah, look, I know obviously, uh, with the situation that's happened in Myanmar recently, it, it's a question that came up. It's, do you boycott a country or not? Um, and... 
That was one of the big questions we were asking ourselves and our community about what do you do? Um, and obviously it's a terrible situation and despite the denials, I think I think we can call it genocide that has been perpetrated there. So what do you do about that? Do you do you decide to boycott a country and hope that will bring about change? And uh, we wrote an article about it that we've put it on, on our site. I'd, I'd hope people will go and read it. And look, that, that had an effect um, in South Africa where people boycotted South African products and travelled to South Africa to try and bring about the end of apartheid. And that was successful. But that's because, you know, the United Nations were involved in that. That would involve trade boycotts by entire nations. And that kind of worked eventually. You know, it took a long time. It kind of worked. But we had a look and we spoke to lots of our partners, like the guys from Intrepid and Lonely Planet. And we said, well, what do you do? Do you think, you know, do you stop going there and hope that will bring about change? And the thing we discovered is that, you know, for for a regime to be able to um, – uh, impose its dictatorial rule, it needs secrecy. So it needs you to stay away. So if you go there, you can expose, um, you know, they know the eyes of the world are on them. You have an opportunity, even if the people, um, which sadly I think may be the case in Myanmar, where the people actually, you know, are supporting what's going on, you can expose those people to a different point of view from around the world and you can affect change when you go there. Change that you can't do if you, you know, draw the curtains and ignore it. So wherefore, you know, going there and engaging with people and, um, you know, the old Mark Twain saying, you know, travel is fatal to prejudice. Mm. So, you know, use use travel to break down those barriers and use travel for, uh, you know, the power of good. So we're against boycotts. I actually used Intrepid when I went to Kilimanjaro and I climbed Kilimanjaro a few years ago. Um, and what I didn't realize until I got there is that a lot more people die on Kilimanjaro than they let you know. <laughs> that it's a little more dangerous than people uh, know about. Like I wasn't in fr- I knew there was some health risk too, but I think somebody might have died. I think somebody did die while we were there. Uh, some yeah. guy had a heart attack or something. A uh, Korean guy. Um, do you cover that? I mean, or is that, I might've used you guys for that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's a bit more than a, you know, a hike that one. It is yeah. in actual fact, a significant mountain and, uh, you know, AMS altitude mount, mountain sickness is, is a big risk there. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And in Nepal, we are doing rescues on a regular basis of people who are suffering from AMS. And we do the same in um, Tanzania as well for Mount Kilimanjaro. Look, we suspect we suspect that the um, increasing popularity in climbing Mount Kilimanjaro has maybe led to some less scrupulous operators um, opening up. Right. Uh, you know, as you know, if you're going to climb a mountain, you need to climb high, sleep low so that you can acclimatize and take the time. And look, it's going to take you, I don't know, five days to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. But That's people the shortest route. That, That's the shortest That's route. Right. That's the one I did. And right. even the experts people, were telling me it's too too short. It's too, yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, just taking that as an example, that the busy people who go, I don't have five days. Can I do it in three? And I, yeah, sure you can, but you're probably going to get really sick. And there are, you know, this massive money to be made in comparison to what they um, would normally make. Uh, go, yeah, sure, I'll guide you up there in three days. No problem. 
and people get into trouble. So you have to do your research. You have to make sure you uh, are going with a reputable company, which is why, you know, hooking up with World Adventures or Intrepid on G Adventures, those guys, they all make sure they've got, um, you know, very ethical companies that they work with and that they are going to look after your health whilst they are doing that. But, uh, you know, you go, oh, man, I don't have five days. I want to do it in three. Uh, no, that, um, we suspect quite a lot of that is happening there, um, people climbing too fast. Yeah. Well, for you working with uh, World Nomads, do you get any travel benefits out of this, any kind of free travel? And where do you get to go? <laughs> oh, I, do, I get to do a couple of conferences uh, around the world, things like that. And, um, yeah, look – with our um, scholarships that we do, we usually send along one of the team members as well uh, to kind of act as like a field producer and what have you. And uh, um, I was like, actually, mine was a domestic trip. I went to Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory where um, indigenous culture is huge up there, massive. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, you know, right on the tip of the Northern Territory and then a six-hour ride in the back of a uh, four-wheel drive out to a community. We were the first ones in since the uh, wet season had finished. So, you know, it was pretty remote stuff. But that was unbelievable. That was amazing. Uh, but um, attended a conference uh, in Belgrade, Serbia. Awesome. Wow. Got to do Serbia. Yeah, Belgrade is fantastic. That's really good. Uh, one of our team members at the moment, we, we have a like a charitable foundation arm called the Footprints Network. We fund uh, community-based projects. He's actually in – where did he go? He's working on a sea turtles project in in Cuba, I think he's gone to. Or it might be Florida. I forgot where he's gone. But Pierce is over there working on the sea turtles project, so one of the projects that we funded through our micro donations, and he's gone over there to have a look at the work. He got invited over, and he'll be posting images from that on the Instagram account for sure. Because you mentioned it, uh, talk about the scholarship again and, and how, who can get it and how can they apply for it. Okay. Um, yeah, look, we um, uh, this has come about because we believe, you know, as travellers that we have a duty to give back to the places that you travel to, So, which was kind of the reason for the charitable arm. But then we always go, hang on, how are we going to give back to our own community of world nomads as well? And we realised that what we could do, because everybody, you know, would like to turn their passion into their profession is the tagline we use. People would like to be, you know, be able to, so many digital nomads these days they want to get better at travel writing they want to get better at travel photography or they want to make travel films so we decide okay well let's get together with you know some uh, tourist organizations and uh, let's get together with some other providers and let's build money can't buy opportunities to go to places to um, work on those skills and we team people up in the scholarships with a mentor so uh, Richard Ianson the photographer he's a um, Canon Master, um, he uh, he's the mentor for our photography scholarship. So you get to work with him for um, a week on assignment in a destination, and uh, you fulfil an assignment that we give you. We want we want a photo essay when you come back, and you've worked with one of the you know greatest photographers in the world on your skills. Um, same thing goes with our. Uh, 
film scholarship. Uh, uh, a fellow called Brian Rapsey is our is our film mentor, and um, Tim Neville is our uh, writing scholarship mentor. So with Tim, you get to go and spend a few days in a workshop with him, and then the latest one they were um, they're in the Balkans for the last one. So you've met up with him in Montenegro and had a three four day workshop, and then all expenses paid for a, a week, go off and shoot your own photo essay and then we publish it. So if you, you know, jump on to uh, worldnomads.com um, and across the sub-nav across the top, go to learn and you can sign up for the scholarships newsletter and we'll let you know when the next one's coming out. We're doing judging at the moment for the writing scholarship um, and the writers are going to go to, good question, speaking of Kilimanjaro, I think they're going to Tanzania for that one so you know the old stone town and places like that to do some writing so get in there find out whether you're a writer photographer or a filmmaker there's a great scholarship for you and some of the some of the people who've been through our scholarships have gone on you know to become professionals in it they're writing for rough guides and things like that so how many of these it's a great how many of these do you give away for a year like per year or so yeah they kind of roll around we do a, uh we do at least one of each in writing, film, and photography a year, um, and sometimes we'll squeeze another one in. Um, for the writing scholarship, we tend to send three people off. The photography, it's usually one, and and film, it's usually one person. But often we'll take a team, so it, you know there'll be two people who are, who are part of it. Well, that's great. I mean, so um, we, you're going to have uh, links. We're going to have links on our website and uh, where people can go there and click on it to World Nomads and also the scholarship stuff. And send me any other links you want up there. Sure, mate. Can I can I encourage people as well? Like you know, like you, we have a podcast, the oh, World yes. Nomads podcast, and then we talk about the scholarships and what's coming up next at World Nomads as well as talk to people who you know can give us an insight into a different destination every time we put one out so you know uh, let's share the podcast up there mike yeah sure if you ever want me on there maybe i shall share some topics on something yeah yeah, i've been around a little bit sure (laughs) you want to know how to do comedy on a cruise ship and how to keep yourself from not getting bored that's it no i'm having you that's it we're putting you on that's the one I want. How to entertain old people on a, on a cruise ship? <laughs> uh, I want to oh, know. Yeah. Oh, the dogs are going nuts here. Another, oh boy, oh boy. It's like a FedEx truck or something outside. All right. Uh, Phil, thank you for doing this. Mate, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Well, and finally, before, uh, before we go, yeah. I want to get uh, not only uh, World Nomads philosophy, but your philosophy on what travel means to you and how uh travel changes people and what it can do for humanity you know it's really hard to uh, hate somebody that you've met and been close with personally and i think you know that happens with travel you go to a country and it's maybe not what you expected but you always meet somebody there you always make a connection with somebody and that changes your the way you see the world um you know, like everybody has very similar fears and expectations. Um, and I think travel is the only way to change the world uh, for good in a way. It's because it's so hard to hate somebody you know. Right, right. No, well said. I completely agree. And uh, right. Phil, thank you so much for uh, for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. 
That's all right. Thanks very much for doing it. No, thank you. That's Phil Sylvester. Oh, boy. Phil (laughs) Sylvester, everyone. Boy. I almost called you Philvester. Does that ever happen? Don't worry, I've been. Co- I get mailed addressed to that. Don't worry. Sil Philvester. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Phil <laughs> Sylvester, everyone. Thanks, man. Good on you, man. Thank you.